All right. Hello, I, I'm Sarah Mackey. I'm a rheumatologist from Leeds, UK, and I want to talk to you today about um, a case um, of a 76-year-old lady who has PMR, polymyalgia rheumatica. So I know she has PMR because I'd seen her before. She had a really typical presentation. She responded to steroids in just the way we expect for PMR. She tapered her steroids down and that all happened in just the way we expect for PMR. But then I call her up for a routine review and she says, doctor, um, I can't get below five milligrams of prednisolone. Every time I try to get to four milligrams, oh, my PMR pain comes back and I'm full of pain and I can't do anything. So um, what do we do? So the first thing is we need to get her up um, to clinic so that we can take a look at her and she can show me what it is that, that her symptoms are. So we come up to clinic and it turns out that in fact, her shoulders and her hips are absolutely fine. And where she's saying that her PMR has moved to is her first metacarpal joint of both hands and some of her Hebedens nodes. There's no sign of fibromyalgia or any other inflammatory arthritis going on either. So what do I think about here? Well, the story, as I'm telling it, is pointing you very much in the direction of, well, this is unmasking of hand osteoarthritis as steroids are tapered. And this is something we're really familiar with in rheumatology practice. Uh, but just before you rush into that, I want you to think one thing. And I want you to ask this lady about symptoms and signs of giant cell arteritis, because just sometimes, just occasionally, this is the first warning sign that we have that PMR is flipping over into giant cell arteritis. So it's worth just asking about symptoms and signs and checking a CRP. We've already had a think about other potential rheumatic diseases, other inflammatory arthritis, doesn't have any of those, so that's fine. The other thing that sometimes we think about is whether this lady, maybe a year into steroids, may have developed iatrogenic adrenal insufficiency. So what we tend to do is we tend to um, request a nine o'clock cortisol blood test. So she has that blood drawn nine in the morning, 24 hours after her last prednisone dose. Um, and if that value comes back very low, um, then we may refer to endocrinology for some more testing of her endocrine axis and to figure out what the best plan for her is. But assuming that that comes back okay, then we treat the hand osteoarthritis. So we educate her, we explain what's going on. Hand strengthening, grip strengthening is incredibly important because long-term steroids really impair your muscle strength and that can be very insidious and creep up on patients without them realizing. So muscle strengthening is absolutely crucial in this situation. Symptomatic management of the pain, um, and and really just understanding um, what it is that's going on. Um, in terms of the prednisolone taper, it may be that um, that one milligram drop from five to four was just too much for this lady, and she might need to drop by 0.5 milligrams. She might need to cut her tablets or alternate doses day to day. Um, there are very slow prednisolone tapers that are available that um, are a little bit more gentle than the standard drop by one milligram every month. And sometimes those slow tapers work where other tapers do not. Um, and that can also be useful for relapsing PMR or relapsing GCA as well. These slower tapers, sometimes it's, it seems to be the, the reduction in the dose um, that unbalances things and makes things flare. And sometimes we can get away with slower tapers and get to a smaller dose um, if we if we reduce in uh, the, the prednisolone dose a little bit more gradually. Um, so that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, when you have your patient with, who's not very happy as they're tapering their prednisolone with PMR, yes, it is quite often osteoarthritis, but just occasionally it's giant cell arthritis. So don't forget to ask about those symptoms and look for those GCA signs. Um, thank you very much for your attention today. Welcome to QD Clinic. I'm Jack Cushwood Room now. QD Clinic this month is brought to you by 
Sanofi, the sponsors of our campaign called Make Room for PMR. Today's case is a 52-year-old who had a great response to steroids. The question is, is this PMR? So she presents to you for a second opinion. Four months ago, she had the onset of knee pain, uh, and it was associated with some swelling. It was just on one side, the right side. And then two weeks later, it became bilateral shoulder and bilateral hip and bilateral knee pain. Mostly not swollen, but she really wasn't sure. At one point, she was unable to get out of the bed because of the knee and shoulder pain. She had two hours of morning stiffness. She had pain in the joints mentioned. Labs were drawn by our primary care. The SED rate was 58. The CRP was markedly elevated at 6.35 milligrams per deciliter. She complained of weakness, fatigue, myalgias, and anorexia. She hadn't lost any weight. She denied any fever. She had no rashes. She was seen by rheumatology who put her on prednisone 15 milligrams a day, and she did dramatically better and was able to resume her activities. She went back and saw that rheumatologist who started to wean her down, and she promptly got worse. This was probably after being on steroids for maybe a month. She comes to you for a second opinion. She still has pain in her shoulders, knees, and hips. Four hours of morning stiffness despite being on prednisone 12.5 milligrams a day. Uh, she says her pain today is 4 out of 10. She sleeps poorly and takes medicine for it. Her current meds include prednisone 12.5 milligrams a day, PRN hydrocodone. She takes Keppra for cluster headaches. And for her bad sleep, she takes QHS amitriptyline, and elsculpazone or lunesta. She's also on a statin. When you see the patient, there are no tender joints, there are no tender joints, no swollen joints. She has full range of motion uh, in the hips and shoulders. The SED rate's five, the CRP is 0.5 milligrams per deciliter. Question is, what's your diagnosis and what are you gonna tell her? I mean, she's coming to you. Either you're gonna confirm the diagnosis of PMR or tell her she's got something totally different. I think what's curious about this case are the facts that the CRP is very high. She had prolonged morning stiffness. She had girdle pain. She was unable to get out of bed. It's a common story. Um, and uh, she had anorexia. But sort of the sequence of the events here is a little odd, especially with the knee pain and bilateral knee pain. Um, the association with bad sleep the inability to get off steroids. And I wouldn't expect that early on in the story. But I think the question at hand here, is this PMR? And was it confirmed by the exquisite response to 15 milligrams of prednisone? The answer is a blatantly loud, unequivocal no. Steroid responses are nonspecific. I don't care if your problem's a hangnail or uh, a migraine headache or you know, stage four leukemia, you know, steroids make a lot of people feel better and for no particularly good reason. Um, and so hinging a diagnosis on that may be problematic. I don't believe that the former rheumatologist was really saying that this was a final diagnosis. I think he was impressed that he had to do something quick because his patient was non-functional with a very high CRP. And I think I would have done the same thing. 
However, if you really doubt the diagnosis of PMR, I mean, this person is 52 years of age. I can count on one hand the number of patients I've diagnosed with PMR who are age 50 to 60. So I don't like making that diagnosis at that age. So if you doubt the diagnosis of an empiric trial of steroids in someone with acute onset inflammatory arthritis, seems prudent. And what do I do? I tend to give an intramuscular dose of something. I like um, Depomedrol, 80 milligrams, followed by 10 days of prednisone, either 10 milligrams a day or 20 milligrams a day, but then abruptly stopping and having the patient call me um, four to seven days later to let me know what's going on. And then I'll make up my mind. But I'm not going to rely on steroids. I'm not going to start steroids with the, the future um, guarantee that getting them off steroids is going to be really difficult as it is in this case. So I would say that there was an onset of a probable acute inflammatory arthropathy, etiology, who knows. Most of those do go into remission on their own, and a little bit of steroids can't hurt. At this point in the game, she still has joint complaints. Maybe you want to look for other causes of an acute evolving into now a chronic arthropathy. I don't know if she has inflammation because she's on steroids and her acute phase reactants are negative and she has no swollen joints. But I'll nonetheless look at her scalp and at her skin and ask her about her GI uh, habits. Uh, and I'll probably refer her, you know, if any of those are abnormal, I'll refer her to derm or GI, but uh, that wasn't the case here. I didn't find anything on exam. I might consider, because of the chronicity of the complaints, um, imaging. And the shoulders are still a problem. Ultrasound to help diagnose PMR might be good. Otherwise, given the complaints she has, I might do x-rays, just plain radiography of the shoulders, hips, and knees because they have been chronic. But she does have normal range of motion, so I expect that to be a low-yield endeavor. Um, it's clear that, above all, she does have poor sleep, and poor sleep can account for all of this manifesting as overt fibromyalgia or even poor sleep causing myofascial pain. That's why I spread. She does not have tender points. She does not meet criteria for fibromyalgia. But I'm nonetheless giving her instructions on sleep hygiene, sending her to a sleep eval um, with a specialist, and changing her sleep meds to less um, amitriptyline, more trazodone, using the Lunesta PRN, and giving her a plan to wean steroids in a very slow one milligram per every other week fashion or every week fashion while covering her with daily analgesics like mm, 1900 to 2600 uh, milligrams a day of extended release uh, acetaminophen. Time will prove that she doesn't have PMR um, and um, I'm sort of certain of that. Uh, I won't get hung up if her CRP is elevated persistently. I won't because I don't treat lab tests. I'm treating inflammatory arthritis and I don't see inflammatory arthritis. So elevated CRPs, I'll just watch them and worry about them, but I'm certainly not gonna prolong prednisone because of a, a test or an acute phase reactant. And someone who doesn't have established diagnosis of PMR. That's it for this QD Clinic. Tune in for more during this campaign month on Make room for PMR. Hello, this is Sebastian Sati from the University of Pittsburgh, and this is my QD clinic for the day. And we're going to be talking about a patient I saw some time back, uh, well, a few months back, actually, who came to me as a second opinion. So an 86-year-old um, 
female who had been diagnosed with PMR three years back, uh, initially presenting with the uh, as per kind of the note and, and her report, uh, shoulder pain, hip pain, and stiffness. And at that point, the patient had been started on around 15 or 20 milligrams of prednisone, had been doing fine. But every time steroids were trying to were were attempted to be tapered, um, things came back. Uh, and with the pass of time, things changed a little bit with some involvement of swell peripheral joints. So patient never went below a dose of five milligrams of prednisone, as she clearly said, every time I go down, the stiffness comes back. And the past year or so, I've been having significant pain and swelling of my hands, wrists, uh, fingers, I cannot make a full fist. I'm having issues with my home chores, which I enjoy doing. Um, so at some point, I think the patient had been uh, tried on um, methotrexate, which actually had le led to some elevation of her LFTs, and that was discontinued. And the flunomide was not tolerated further, and there were no kind of other steroid um, sparing agents that were tried. So at this point, the patient comes in and tells me, well, I have this PMR. It keeps going on. And what, do you, what can you do for me? And the patient was clearly having significant pain and stiffness with limitation in her daily activities, um, but also had very profound synovitis of her bilateral wrist and MCP joints as well as some PIP joints. Uh, and as a matter of fact, those were the, were the, uh, the, the areas that were more painful and limiting her daily activities. As well, she complained about her neck pain and complained about shoulder pain, but, but her hands were were pretty significant and were limiting her daily uh, activities of daily life. Um, so interestingly, uh, as much as, yes, shoulder and hip symptoms had been the, her initial manifestations, there were some other new symptoms going on. And going back into the available records, um, and reviewing some of her images, although neurosis disease had been noticed, there were there were some, uh, and there was some at some point some concern for possibility of uh, CPPD disease that could be explaining um, some of her peripheral symptoms. There were no um, other serological tests that had been done, and it's sometimes important to to differentiate because certainly what we what used to be called the early onset array, which should be called late onset array, can present with uh, a different kind of picture than what we usually expect compared to uh, array as we all know and and kind of see in, a, in kind of younger adults. It can sometimes present with a predominance of um, bigger uh, kind of larger joints with not a typical kind of small joint pattern. Uh, RF and CCP had not been checked on this patient and uh, upon initial assessment uh, in, in our clinic, um, this were checked and they were kind of or over the charts. So she, patient was both RF and CCP positive, was having pretty pre, pre, predominant small joint symptoms as well, as well as the, the large kind of hip and, and shoulder and pelvic girdle symptoms that had initially presented with her disease with a, a difficulty in tapering prednisone. So at that point, um, as much as PMR, and that was kind of what she was coming for, we talked about and discussed the possibility of a uh, diagnosis of seropositive array that, and started discussing about treatment options uh, going to the choice of a biologic agent, given that she had previously non-tolerated uh, CST marts.
patient was started on a biologic agent, agent after discussion with improvement of her symptoms. So this points out again into somehow teasing out the fact is that there is a need sometimes to kind of reassess things, especially with diagnosis of PMR, which although can be very classical and have this usual presentation within uh, of um, if symptoms and findings change on exam, there's always room to uh, take a step back and reassess. So thank you so much, and I hope you have enjoyed this QD clinic. Hello, this is Sebastian Sato with the University of Pittsburgh, and this is my QD clinic for today. So last week, uh, a 64-year-old patient with a diagnosis of PMR um, came to my clinic for a second opinion that she had not been seen by a rheumatologist prior to this. And interestingly, her diagnosis of PMR had been done a year prior in the context also of a uh, concomitant workup and eventual diagnosis of a renal cell carcinoma. So her PMR presentation was um, for clear, with clear prolonged morning stiffness, shoulder and pelvic girdle symptoms, no peripheral arthritis symptoms at that point, um, with pretty kind of significant elevation of her inflammatory markers and patient was started on prednisone 15 uh, with a quick improvement of symptoms. Uh, parallelly, diagnosis of renal cell carcinoma was was done and the patient uh, was um, underwent surgical excision. There was no evidence of any metastatic disease. And since then, disease has continued to be in remission. And despite attempts to taper prednisone, again, diagnosis over a year ago, uh, every time uh, steroids hit kind of five uh, milligrams or below, symptoms quickly recur. Even, even more so for the past months or so, uh, even doses of five, six, seven have actually persisted. Uh, and upon us meeting, what she told me was, I haven't been able to comb my hair for three weeks. Uh, however, her inflammatory markers have been normal. And the, uh, both her oncologist and her uh, primary care, who, under my impression, had kind of thought of this also being as a, as a perineoplastic presentation, uh, you know, were concerned and saying, well, why are your symptoms not coming back, are so persistent, if your inflammatory markers are normal and your malignancy is actually under 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 remission at this point? A patient on exam had elevation of her arms, both up to only 60 degrees bilaterally, had significant pain on both sides, had actually some mild um, tenuitis of her left wrist, also inability to stand up and limitation and pain with uh, flexion at her hip level, uh, also pain of a patient uh, bilaterally. This scenario of PMR as a perineoplastic presentation is certainly not uncommon. Uh, it is something that we certainly usually consider, and, and especially when assessing a patient with uh, new onset symptoms that are concerning for PMR, we always need to keep in mind uh, to check for other constitutional symptoms and always keep malignancy under our differential as well. However, in this patient, the malignancy had actually been addressed. There was no concerns for any recurrence of disease. However, her PMR symptoms were persistent, and she had clear persistence of symptoms characterized, again, by pain and stiffness. If someone tells you that they're stiff until 8 p.m., and that's when they finally see a little bit of uh, movement, and then they go to bed, and the next day starts again, it's uh, where active disease needs to be considered. At that point, uh, that with inflammatory markers being normal, as much as we sometimes, of course, rely on this, there's certainly not, not bulletproof, as we know, and 
the patient presentation and exam and, and findings are what are more consistent for this. Uh, it would have been interesting, although this was not done. PET scan as well, that was done, not that uh, could have been done as well for remission, although this was not, there were not findings in this patient assessing for PET scan uptake in the shoulder and pelvic uh, in the hip region could also be used to, for assessment of active uh, PMR. There are other findings as well, as well as the dorsum of the hands or interspinous processes, but uh, these were not available for the patient. But again, the, the clinical picture uh, primed overall. Patient was started on higher dose of, of steroids for uh, looking for symptom improvement. And given the fact that this was already one year on glucocorticoids with persistent symptoms, um, there was going to be a discussion about steroid sparing agents as well, uh, considering both either CST marts uh, or biologic treatments. So again, always to keep in mind, PMR can present as perineoplastic, but uh, it or it can be also concomitant. Again, we're talking about an age group where malignancy can occur, but the fact is that it can continue uh, to have symptoms and affect patients even in the absence of and complete remission of the malignancy. And uh, inflammatory markers being normal, but a patient who's still stiff and painful will uh, might not will still point to disease activity. So with that, I hope you have enjoyed this case. And again, um, listen to the patients, not only inflammatory markers. Take care. Hi, this is QD Clinics. Uh, I'm David Liu from Melbourne, Australia. Just another one um, from earlier in the week. Uh, I see a lot of patients who have had uh, arthralgias and myalgias in the context of having cancer immunotherapy. Um, and this is relevant to that because in those patients, we're often even more cautious than we would be in an ordinary situation about uh, giving glucocorticoids, about giving prednisolone. Uh, we worry a little bit that that could potentially dampen down the cancer immunotherapy response. And um, that's something we're very cautious about because the last thing we want to do is dampen down a potentially life-saving medicine. Of course, uh, oral steroids are something that we shouldn't just be throwing around in the first place. Um, and so this is all relevant for this patient. So he's a 75-year-old uh, man, has metastatic melanoma, um, and he's being treated with uh, nivolumab, uh, which is a PD-1 inhibitor. Um, he's about four and a half months into, into have, after having had the first dose of nivolumab. And his oncologist has sent him across uh, because... Uh, they were worried about the possibility of polymyalgia rheumatica as an immune-related adverse event because uh, this man had been having uh, pain over both shoulders, they really been getting in the way of things, had been waking him up at night and had been really bothering him. They were worried that it was going to be a problem for the cancer immunotherapy, especially, and they were worried he was looking pretty miserable and they wondered what to do and whether... In fact, they were about to start prednisolone, but they thought they'd call me first. Um, I think that's always a good move. So really, um, this shoulder pain, definitely on both shoulders, both lateral shoulders, um, had more of a mechanical feel to it. Certainly didn't really seem to be a lot of, it'd been stiff right throughout the day a little bit, but the stiffness certainly seemed to get worse throughout the morning. Uh, the pain certainly did seem to be mechanically triggered as well, although it certainly was painful when he was lying on his sides at night. And critically on the physical examination, uh, and I think this is where uh, our skills as rheumatologists uh, are what helps other specialties. Uh, we, uh, for him, it was interesting that 
if I abducted his shoulder, then that brought on the pain for about 60, 70 degrees of abduction. Reflection uh, was certainly uh, passive flexion was uh, perfectly fine. And in fact, he had some, uh, he had positive impingement test on both sides. And really what he had was bilateral subacromal bursitis rather than polymyalgia rheumatica. So the good news is that I was able to give him uh, corticosteroid injections into both subacromal bursae, uh, local anesthetic effect, worked up out a very happy man. And I um, called him last night and actually he's still doing very well. Didn't need to give him any oral steroids. I uh, didn't even need to give him any systemic steroids. And really that means good things for him in general, good things for the cancer immunotherapy, doesn't have polymyalgia as an immune-related adverse event um, and now is able to sleep. So I think that what, what that teaches us is that, uh, of course, as rheumatologists, we're still very dependent on um, our physical examination. Some of this can be done through telehealth, of course, but uh, when you've got that video there to be able to see movements, it's not always easy over um, video, but certainly getting to do those shoulder movements is critical. Abduction, um, so in polymyalgia we don't see um, certainly classical polymyalgia and seemingly polymyalgia as an immune-related adverse event. We don't see uh, problems always. We, so we do see problems with both abduction and with flexion of the shoulder. Whereas sometimes with mechanical disease, depending on exactly what we're looking at, with uh, shoulder tendinopathies, especially when they're uh, really, it's really the subacromial bursitis driving things, uh, we don't see um, issues with flexion, but we certainly do with abduction. Good lesson about the power of physical examination. Keep on joining us for all of October, where it's PMR month at Room Now, because we have to make room for PMR. Hi, it's David Lou here for QD Clinics. Uh, another QD Clinic today, patient I saw earlier in the week. And the presentation I think we probably are all familiar with from clinic. So it's a 54-year-old lady um, who came in and she'd been referred in with lots of arthralgias and myalgias. That was where the referral was at. Um, and really over the last six months, she'd been having problems with a lot of different joint pains and muscle pains. And it was really difficult for her to describe all of them. And I'd ask her where they were. And she said, well, they're everywhere, but really my neck, shoulders, back, um, but really in a lot of different places. And she was struggling to locate them. So really this had been building over the last six months, a lot of fatigue, a lot of lethargy. Uh, she was postmenopausal. She'd been after the change in life. Um, so otherwise pretty healthy, uh, just asthma as a comorbidity. But she'd really been struggling with this. It's really brought her down progressively over a couple of months and really and the last six months had not been fun with her for her and she'd and she'd been she'd been struggling and she was struggling in the in the consulting room uh, and i had some labs there esr was 30 crp is 15 from primary care um but we were struggling to get through some details so sometimes what i do in this situation is that you need to take a bit of a circuit breaker in amongst here uh, because the patterns of pain and exactly where they're affecting are clearly very important uh, it's very tempting in this kind of patient to think, well, these are all um, postmenopausal myalgias and arthralgias that are, um, are really uh, sarcopenia leading to um, mechanical tendinopathies, or perhaps this is all uh, fibromyalgia, but um, perhaps it's not. 
and especially when you've got labs like that, which are not entirely normal. Uh, so what I do in this situation sometimes is I give patients a pre-printed mannequin uh, that I've got there on my computer, print off a template, and and I gave her the piece of paper and a pen. I've got one which says pain and one which says stiffness. And I gave her an opportunity to, to colour in and really try and draw it out. Um, and often that's really a way of just trying to capture the when things are affecting a lot of different places uh, to really try and, and, and locate that down in a way which doesn't feel overwhelming um, for her or for me for, for, for in, in reality. So um, I got her to fill that out and she really uh, was, it was really revealing. She uh, coloured in really the shoulders, the lateral hips, lower back, um, just around the buttocks, around the ischial tuberosities, then a little bit around the elbows, a little bit of, um, around the posterior medial knees, just on the inside of the knee. And it's really the pattern that we classically see from polymalgia rheumatica, especially when it affects outside of the shoulders and the hips. And uh, these are the patterns that we see on imaging as well, but these are the patterns we often see clinically. Um, it's probably under-recognised, um, but really this uh, didn't seem like uh, fibromyalgia or postmenopausal um, arthralgias at all. Um, it seemed very much in keeping with polymyalgia rheumatica. So uh, good news is um, I did end up giving her 15 milligrams of prednisolone and I called her uh, last night to see how she's going and she's doing really well on that. Um, everything seems to have melted away like uh, what's the phrase spinach and Popeye, as we said earlier in the week with our Tuesday night rheumatology. So I think that's an important lesson in that we sometimes if we're struggling to be able to uh, locate uh, regional pain, regional stiffness, then having a different modality like a piece of paper and a pen can be enormously powerful. For more QD clinics, keep on tuning in to this month's uh, QD clinics of uh, the our PMR month uh, because we need to make room for PMR. Hi, this is Sebastian Satwi. I'm a rheumatologist in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and today I'm gonna be you're gonna be joining me for a QD clinic. And what better than a typical or a fun case of rheumatology than uh, a fever of unknown origin or FUO? Uh, as we always say, when there's a suspicion for FUO, you always get an infectious disease. Uh, hematologist and um, a rheumatologist. And this is the, the part that I think we we are, it's very important for our involvement in some of the cases that uh, we get consulted on. This can be certainly in the outpatient setting as well as in the inpatient setting. The patient that I'm gonna be talking about today was a patient that I saw in the hospital and she was, um, she was a 68 year old um, with really no significant medical history, maybe some mild hypertension, and that was it. She had recently retired from work, um, and, and she kept, which in her job, she had a, it was a very busy kind of fast-paced job, and she was, um, you know, completely independent, physically active. She powered walk five, five days a week without any issues, but one day that changed, and she didn't feel like walking, and she felt fatigued. And she started running low-grade fevers that were, you know, low 101, happening mostly on a daily basis. There was she was not having shortness of breath, was not having any rashes, was not having any headaches, was uh, not having any abdominal symptoms, any urinary symptoms. She was just running some uh, low-grade fevers and was having significant fatigue. 
And that's how she initially reported it. So that took her to her PCP, who started working her up. Um, there was some um, uh, mild anemia. There was some thrombocytosis in her initial labs, eleva elevated inflammatory markers. Yeah, but there was a concern for infection. Unclear necessarily why what that was brought up initially. Uh, you know, she had other extensive workup, but she ended up getting a um, a TTE, so an echo, which showed the possibility for you know some abnormality, possible you know calcification versus vegetation in her aortic valve, uh, which raised the concern for the possibility of endocarditis, even though. Also in the outpatient setting, her blood cultures were negative. Um, she still continued to have fatigue, still low-grade fevers. Um, you know, she ended up having initially CAT scans, which did not show anything else. Um, and she was not able to do the power walking as she usually did. She got a, ended up getting admitted to the hospital. And when while admitted to the hospital, the reason was, of course, the concern of uh, this possibility of, of a vegetation and subacute uh, bacterial endocarditis. Again, although her cultures were negative and she didn't have any kind of unusual exposures, no history of any, you know, IV drug use, no history of any weird traveling. And she um, re had a TEE, which just showed that it was some, you know, calcification. There was no concern for any vegetation. Blood cultures were negative as well. And while inpatient, she got a PET scan, which the PET scan did not show any significant abnormalities. Um, so she had seen ID, which ID said nothing. She had seen him on and had had some blood work and she also had a PET scan, which the PET scan did not show any abnormalities. Um, she had seen her primary care slash cardiologist who had admitted her hospital for the concern of a subacute uh, bacterial endocarditis. And so missing down the list was rheumatology. And while reading her note, there was already kind of some mention of, which had not necessarily been really paid too much attention to, about some aches and pains and some uh, myalgias, which were attributed to the fact that, well, maybe she's having fevers and possibly this case. Um, so um, one thing again, pause, uh, which always we talk about GCA as a potential cause of an FUO. The PET scan did not show any uptake in any of the aorta of any of the major branches, which uh, somehow is reassuring for that. While walking in the room after knocking the door and going in, she was in her bed and I saw her stand up, which took her a while, took her a while even with help. Uh, and as a lot of patients with PMR usually relate to us, um, it's that night that you go to bed feeling fine and that morning that you wake up that you cannot just stand up from your bed so upon further questioning uh, she was having significant shoulder pain and stiffness again the typical thing which everyone describes which is true and patients that you know everyone assumes it's weakness but it, if you really probe the patient it's not weakness per se it's pain what is driving the the limitations in their upper extremities and lower extremities, a significant prolonged stiffness. And again, this was someone who had a full-time busy job, who was used to having daily physical activity, who was at this point not being able to even stand up of her bed by herself. And her exam was you know, significant for the fact that she had decreased range of motion and pain palpation of her shoulder girdle, pain palpation of the lateral aspects of her hips, did not have any inflammatory um, findings on peripheral joints, 
pulses were symmetrical throughout. And fortunately, uh, you know, temporality was uh, palpable. There were no, no skull tenderness or any other kind of ischemic symptoms. And the diagnosis of concern um, was PMR, which uh, as we have heard uh, in some of the DNRs as um, spinach to Popeye, patient was feeling significantly improved by the next day after getting her first dose of steroids with at least a 50% improvement that continued to improve throughout the, the, the next few days. Um, this patient had had an extensive workup. It, to my, at that point, uh, there was no significant concern of, of, of any kind of uptake in the shoulder or pelvic girdle, but as this has been discussed also before, and there's growing evidence about the use of PET scan for the assessment of particularly diagnostic assessment of PMR, we usually can also look for uptake in the shoulder uh, and pelvic girdle, as well as uh, in the interspinous processes in the spine, and also some distal um, uptake in, in hands. Uh, it was not necessarily the case for this patient, but she had a pretty significant res response to steroids with complete resolution of inflammatory markers, going back to her uh, functional uh, state and her daily activities without any issues. So. Again, uh, highlighting the, the, the fun cases that we sometimes get involved and the crucial impact that we can have for patients when just history taking can be very important and listening to, to patients and understanding the before and after, getting an idea of what is the change in daily activity, what are the symptoms, because it might not be the case that the patients necessarily tell us, I'm, I have stiffness and pain, and it might take them a while to really realize that, but that change in mobility, that change in, um, in their ability to go on with their daily activities in the context of, of low-grade fevers should always raise a concern for PMR as a cause of FEO. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this QD clinic. Hello again. This is Sebastian Satui. I'm a rheumatologist at, the, uh, at Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And today I will be sharing a couple of cases, actually, for um, a QD clinic. And this Cases both have a bit of a similar um, kind of message to it when always thinking that not every pain in, the, in a patient with PMR is PMR. So the first case was a 78-year-old female who was diagnosed by uh, with PMR by her primary care physician. And this patient... Uh, her presentation had been very classical based on, the, on what the records that I received with uh, clear stiffness, prolonged stiffness, shoulder and pelvic girdle pain, and, you know, a, a significant impact in her quality of, in her daily activities and elevation of inflammatory markers, and then a very nice and brisk response to 20 milligrams of prednisone initially. This, um, while going down on the steroids, there were initially no issues, but when the patient got to a dose of around 10 milligrams daily, she started having significant pain in her left hip. Pain, which she also reported to be associated to stiffness and, and limiting her daily activities and initially felt similar to PMR pain. However, her, sh her shoulders that were not involved initially were not hurting. Uh, and her right hip was bothering some, but certainly was disproportionate. The left hip was the main issue. So in the initial um, concern of PMR, given that it felt like, smelled like uh, similar, steroids were increased again to 20 milligrams daily. 
after a couple of days, there was no response in the sentence whatsoever. Uh, after a couple of days of no response with tendomegram daily, and there are still the concern that this was PMR, the patient's steroids were increased to 30 milligrams daily, again, with no improvement. At that point, uh, there was a cons- the, pic- the clinical picture was not clear, and she was referred uh, to rheumatology to be seen and assessed. And again, there was no debate on the initial diagnosis of PMR, but clearly her symptoms this time were not um, significant. We're not really raising the concern for PMR, unilateral, no involvement of the shoulder, no no response to even 30 milligrams of prednisone, which is usually, you know, above where we where we tend to uh, we treat patients with PMR. And um, and they, she had had an, an, an initially an X-ray that showed uh, no no signs of anything else or any fracture or just arthritis of her hips. But given the, the symptoms and the exam, uh, particularly the pain more anteriorly to her hip, not not laterally, pain with internal uh, and some pain with internal and external rotation as well, an MRI was done, which showed a pelvic fracture. Uh, she had not had any trauma, but she was also um, hadn't had an accident in a few years, hadn't had wasn't started on a bis, on a bisphosphonate, and this was someone who had been on steroids for some time. Uh, patient had osteoporosis and had a pelvic fracture. And at that point, the decision was to, you know, keep going down on the steroids, given there was no evidence of PMR and orthopedics assessed the patient with the decision to just manage conservatively. Fortunately, while going down and all disease better being adequately controlled, steroids went down and uh, fracture healed. The second case is a patient who is a 72-year-old who had a diagnosis of PMR two years back. And again, classical presentation, 72-year-old who uh, presented with acute onset of shoulder and pelvic girdle symptoms, stiffness, elevated inflammatory markers, and a brisk response to steroids. She had some issues with the steroids, was not really happy with them, but they tapered them off. And in a matter of a year or so, she was discontinued of them. Um, she never felt that she went back to her baseline, which I think uh, was never really involved in physical therapy or any other activities. She's not necessarily a, an active a phys- uh, active person at the baseline with regards to you know physical activity or exercises. But um, she felt that, well, okay, this is what I was dealt with. But then six months after that, pain came back. But pain came back worse on her right shoulder. Both shoulders, which again, she never felt that she went back to baseline initially after being tapered off, um, but she felt clear before and after when starting treatment. Uh, But now her right shoulder was bothering significantly. Well, again, both of them were, but it was disproportionate on the right side. Um, There were no no, uh, hip symptoms. There were no other constitutional symptoms. It was just persistent pain with stiffness just on the right side. Had an x-ray, which did not show any abnormality except for mild mild, uh, arthritis. So the patient was seen in her office and they're concerned of like, is this PMR again? Uh, And her inflammatory markers were normal. Not that, as we know, necessarily excluded, but this was a patient who was six months off treatment as well, Uh, but had persistent symptoms. And she was very limited on her, on on, particularly in her right shoulder, which was a dominant hand. So in that scenario, uh, especially because 
you know, I don't the the lack of evidence of inflammatory disease was was on the lower side. Um, and there were a typical features to her presentation, an X-ray. Uh, and an X-ray had not shown necessarily anything. Her exam did raise a concern for some rotator cuff disease. But at that point, the decision was to get an MRI. And what the MRI showed was uh, it did not show any bursitis, didn't show any acutitinitis, but showed a high-grade partial thickness or um, tearing of the subscapularis, also uh, some high-grade partial thickness uh, tear of the supra and infraspinatus, some labral disease as well, and some mild tendinosis. There were no real inflammatory features. The, 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 these findings on MRI were way more pronounced on the right side. Again, the, the, the full thickness tear of the subscapularis and the high-grade partial thickness tear uh, of the other components of the rotator cuff were uh, actually on the right side as well. And without any other inflammatory findings, neither on ex on her history, neither on her inflammatory markers, and neither on her um, MRI, she the decision was to treat symptomatically, to send for physical therapy, uh, also assessment orthopedics, and the decision was again to proceed conservatively, um, and and without any concern for active disease. We have uh, kind of touched a little bit on base of like one the scenarios were. Um, Imaging is important. We know that, uh, and we have heard about this, that ult both ultrasound, both uh, uh, MRIs, and nowadays also PET scans can be useful for the diagnosis of PMR. The role in monitoring is still not um, established yet, but it's also important because it can allow us to better assess the patient and rule out any other causes because not everything that hurts is PMR. Um, whether it's a fracture, whether it's some other kind of uh, soft tissue uh, condition that can be leading or mimicking symptoms. Uh, again, again, the other feature that was persist uh, also common between those two patients was the asymmetry and some, again, uh, not, not the classical picture that we were concerned for a, a relapse of disease in patients with PMR. So I hope you've enjoyed both of these cases and thank you again for listening.